used to say around here that um, if you want to know God's working, technology starts breaking down. I just want to thank the good boys for working extra hard this morning. Um, in the 11 a.m. service, we'll be taking a new member. So we just want to put the pictures up and kind of saw flash real quick. Um, this is Bob and Jennifer Aronson and Nora Catania. Um, and they will be coming in as new members. That means they are going to our membership classes that we offered last month. Oh, it's almost over, but we offered. Um, and they're coming into the body. So this is a, a chance to see their faces if you haven't seen them around. Um, membership is, is beautiful. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a commitment that people are making to say, hey, I'm a part of this family. Uh, but it's also a commitment we get to make to them and say, welcome, welcome to our family as well. So um, if you see them around, Give them a hug or something. I think we're, we're still in COVID, so maybe do an air high five. You don't feel comfortable, but just want to make sure you see their pictures as well. So, yep. Um, we're going to be continuing our In Christ series this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Again, we have the breakdown of, of the, the book of Ephesians. We said it's kind of two parts. In the first half, Paul's going to explain that all we have is in Christ. Everything that we are, everything that we can hope, that we can dream for, it comes in Christ, right? And it is God's power that, that kind of elevates our position. So whether it's through salvation or bringing us together as one body. And then when you get to the second half of Ephesians, so chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, he's going to say this story of Jesus, right? The idea that God left heaven to come to earth. The idea that Jesus lived in a way to show us how to please God. That, that Jesus going and sacrificing on the cross for our sins. Jesus being raised from the dead. Jesus saying, go and be my disciples. Jesus saying, I'm going to prepare a place and, and I'm working on heaven so it's perfect for us. And Jesus coming back again. This knowledge that we have of this gospel story is to impact every single aspect of our life. Knowing who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, to impact who you are as a person, which in turn should impact your family, which in turn should impact your neighborhood or community, which in turn should impact your world. Like that's the message that Paul's going to be driving forth. Now, when we get to chapter 5, he's going to kind of say it in a really cool bumper sticker, right? And the bumper sticker is, if we're going to live like Christ, we have to walk in the way of love. We have to walk in love and light like our Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn again to Ephesians chapter 5. I think, yeah, we're good. We should have it up front. I'll be reading in the NIV. And we're reading the, the, the first 20 uh, verses, so verses 1 to 20. Starting at verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. This is Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper of God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. Nor a moral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do then with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you this morning that we have you to make us aware. That we have you to open our eyes. And we pray now that as we go through the scriptures, that you open our eyes and our hearts and our lives and our minds so that we may see your wondrous truth. God, we thank you this morning that you call us to be brave, that you call us to be bright. That we who were once darkness are now the children of light. Lord, let us live such an effect. Let us live to how we've been called. Let us live because we have been called and pulled out of the darkness. And in a world that reminds us of his darkness every single day. And maybe in ourselves, when we still see the darkness holding on, Lord, help us to be your light. Help us to see your light. Help us to submit to your light. And God, our Father, we thank you that you have called us and chosen us to show love to this world. That you have called us and chosen us to be light to this world. So, Lord, we don't take this lightly, but we ask for your help. Teach us what it means to love like Christ loves. Teach us what it means to submit even our wills to you. Teach us what it means to say you are Lord of everything. So Jesus, help us this morning to not just see God be my everything, but to say, Lord, I give you my life. In the Holy Spirit's name, amen. So one of the things that I, I really struggled with as a teenager uh, was my inner nerd, right? And I got to high school, I went to high school with a bunch of nerds, and I was cool, so I was like, you guys are nerds, right? But it still comes out, right? And, and one of the things I love and then filled my inner nerd is I love dictionaries, right? And I wish I could say this was some kind of academic pursuit, but I had a mother who felt the need to play Scrabble. And in my family, we're not competitive, we just beat you a lot. Right? Like, so it doesn't matter if you're a five-year-old. If you dare challenge me to a game of travel, I will beat you 500 to 50 and tell you I still love you. I'm still dealing with it, you know, but it's cool, right? So what I did as a kid is I started reading dictionaries because not just regular dictionaries, travel dictionaries. So my goal was to find weird two- and three-letter words, right, so that she would challenge them, lose her turn, I get an extra turn, so instead of losing 500 to 50, it might be 400 to 200, right? So a progress, right? But one of the things I love about dictionaries, and this actually helped me when I got to seminary, is that, that the English language is very dynamic, right? Like, it not only changes over time, it gives you levels of meaning. So you go back a couple hundred centuries, or a couple hundred, a few centuries, and I say, this is awful. Right? That actually was a good thing. Right? And it was full of awe. Right? So it's like I was in New England last weekend um, for, for Ryan Gephardt and Morgan's wedding. And, and at night, there's this thing that happens when you leave cities. Right? At night, you see things up in the sky called awe. Right? You get to see that. It's amazing. Right? I know some of you are already talking about live in the city. You don't see stars. Right? But it's like in New England, it was just like darkness and sky. My kids and I, we got like blankets out. We're like looking up. Like, this is amazing. So uh, a few centuries ago, like, this is awful, right? Because it's full of awe. But now if I say this is awful, you're like, that's bad, right? Like, like it's just words change over time. But I think when you look at the, the meanings of words, like, it's also fascinating because one other thing I love in dictionaries is they teach how to pronounce words, right? So you don't say things with the wrong syllable, right? You sound really foolish and say with the wrong syllable, right? So, but, but also when you're looking at some of you are getting like three days from now, right? When you look at dictionaries, you look at the, the, the definitions, 
you see how words are also dynamic, not because they change over time or we can hear them correctly, but they can't always mean everything at the same time. So when we're looking at some of these words in Scripture, it's important for us to identify what is actually being said. So for example, in Ephesians 5 here, Paul begins with follow God's example. Follow is a common word, and we know what follow means, or group. Because follow can mean, you know, proceeding. Right? Like following a guide in a cave. When I was younger, I went to lunch. I don't even know what Salunchi is. Oh, I know they threw me in a dark cave and said, walk. And I walked. I followed it, right? You can't see your hand in your face, so you got to listen to the voice. you got to touch the person in front of you, right? So there's a chance of uh, the meaning of following that just means to proceed, to, to follow the guide. But it's also follow that means to pursue. You see that in uh, Psalm 23, right? When, when, when Paul, or Paul, when David writes, he says, You surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, a lot of us grew up thinking that's like a shadow. It's like, well, it's God, God loves us, right? But no, the, the, the Hebrew word and the, the, the definition of follow there is the God. And the idea that I will take you down until you're captured. So there's an aspect of follow that doesn't just mean like, oh, it's just following the shadow. There's an aspect of pursuing. So when Jacob pursued Esau, or in our setting, when Pop pursued Father, right? So it's like there's this idea that follow is this pursuit. But then there's also another aspect of follow that means, you know, following directions. And my wife's not here this morning, so I can say this, but she would argue that I don't do well following directions. I think I do quite well, right? I just think I'll see a furniture directions or maybe from the end, but that's just me, you know? Like, you don't know you love someone until you try to put together Ikea furniture, right? I didn't put that in my pre-marital, but it's good. The idea of following, though, is also obeying, right? And, and some of us are really good at obeying. That's why we be driving up into, like, the woods, right? It's just like, turn right, but are you sure we turn right here? We do, right? And then you get there, you're like, that's not the right one in turn, right? So there's this idea of following that comes with, do I follow directions? Or, or internally, do I follow my conscience, right? Some people call it your gut. Right, your spirit, your, your mind. Like, do you follow what your conscience says? If it doesn't feel right, you just don't do it, right? Some of us try on the other side. If it feels right, we do do it, right? But there's this idea of, of obedience that comes with following. There's also those sequence, right? So after dinner, you have dessert, right? Dessert follows dinner. So there's all these aspects of follow. But what does Paul actually mean when he says follow God? Is it proceeding after Jesus? Maybe. Is it pursuing Jesus as if, like, um, you're chasing him down to be captured, or, or maybe even the idea of pursuing a career path, right? High school, college, med school, residency, then I'm a lawyer, then I'm a doctor, right? Is it like, the idea of pursuing that path? Is it the idea of obedience? Is it the idea of, 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 of sequence? No. In this passage, what he's saying is we need to imitate Jesus. But the Greek word that he uses here is mimikos, right? Which, which comes from, I grew up in Philly, so we had the mines, right? The mummers, they weirded me out as a kid, right? Like, they would just look at you and start doing stuff and not talking. They're like, who are these white people, you know? But eventually, you got to know they were okay, most of the time, right? So the word he uses here means to imitate, to copy, right? To, 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 to copy and this idea of what you see, and what you see is what you do. So you see it, you copy it, you do it. Following God to Paul in this passage is manipulative. So in the NIV, it says, like follow God's example. In the Old Word translation, straight from the Greek, it says, be you therefore followers of God, right? So the idea here is what you have seen Jesus do, that's what you ought to be doing. When I was uh, in college, my, my younger brother was about 13 years younger than me, right? I was in college, I would come home, and I would pick up my brother from school. And, and 
remember when he was in elementary school, this one time we're walking home and it's in Southwest Philly, and there's always so much going on, right? And so I'm holding his hand, we're walking, walking, and I started noticing, like, like out the corner of my eye, that everything I was doing, he was doing, right? And as a good older brother, I was like, let's have fun with this, right? So then I stepped to the left, he stepped to the left. I tripped to the right, he tripped to the right. Now that like, well, we gotta have more fun. I tripped over myself, he tripped over himself. And I looked at him and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. But he was following. Right? What he saw is what he did. Maybe that 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 the ancient equivalent of this was this idea of our apprenticeship. And then when we think about discipleship and following God, we've made it so much about the knowledge, right? We know what it means to follow God. We know the commandments of God. But are we doing the commandments of God? Are we doing what we've seen Jesus do in our lives, right? The idea of apprenticeship is intentionally seeing and doing. If I was a tradesperson and I brought you into my shop, my job was to teach you so that one day you can replace me, right? My job was to teach you so that the craft can go on. And that's what we're missing in Christian discipleship. And there's got to be a built-in idea of apprenticeship. There's got to be that following God isn't just what we know. It's not just what books we read, right? But it also can't be what we experience or what we feel. It has to be what we do. Because according to Paul, following God is doing. And what do we do? We walk in the way of love. Christ's example, and I love this, right? Because we all have different ideas. We talk about definitions, right? We all have different ideas of what love is. Well, you'll see this consistently, I would argue, throughout the New Testament, that love is most often defined as God sending his son. As Jesus laying down his life. As submission to the Holy Spirit. So if we look at that framework, and that's the framework he's going to use in Ephesians 5 and 6, right? So love is to look like Christ. To walk in the way of love is not to just know that Jesus loves me and I'm supposed to love others, but it's to actually show love. Imagine someone that you love doesn't know you love them because all they have are your words. Imagine someone that you deeply care about doesn't know you care about them because all they have is your words. Our words will never be enough. Following Jesus can't just be what we know. It must be what we do. So for Paul, the living example here is Christ. And so what he's talking about, and we talked about this the last couple of weeks, he's talking about this new humanity, right? In Christ, we're now a new people. We're not just saved and have salvation, but we get to come together from Asia, from Africa, from the Middle East, from Europe, from North America, from South America. We get to now be one. But in this new humanity, another way he describes it is almost the idea of putting on new clothes. We lose it, right? Because in that ancient culture, they have these things called covenants. And one of the beauties of covenants is that you would exchange your robes. And the idea of exchanging your robes is you're saying that everything that I have now belongs to you. So by putting on my robe and by me putting on your robe, I'm saying my identity is intrinsically tied to you. It's physically tied to you. We are now one. And so this in Christ language is covenant language. So that's why Paul would time and time again say, if you want to be a new creation, you've got to do new things. If you want to be a new person, you've got to follow new rules, right? If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to have a new Lord. And that Lord can't be yourself. And that Lord can't be your world. And that world can't be what you know. It's got to be who you know. 
And so when we come to part again, he says, we are set apart to be this new uh, humanity. we got to put on these new clothes. And so last week we went through, like, some of the dudes and the dudes. But in there, he's going to talk about two things. I'm glad when the kids stay in the service, because the Lord just gives you the best services for them, right? So we're going to talk about stuff. Thank you, parents. You're welcome. I enjoy your ride home. It can be fascinating for all of us, sure. But he's going to talk about what does it mean, right, to live within this new humanity in a world that has different messages when it comes to sex and sexuality. But then he's also going to say, what does it mean to be this new humanity when we were once darkness, but now have been made light? When it comes to sex and sexuality, he says very clearly, right, no immorality, impurity, or even sexual greed to be tolerated by the people of God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, greed, but these are improper of God's holy people. And what's fascinating is that Paul writes to a culture that's actually pretty close to ours on this. He writes to a culture that, that looks at the bodies as, as either evil, I call this two times, right? Because it's evil, so it's just like anything I do, it's just my body, it doesn't matter, right? Like, it's just my body, so it's like I can abuse it, I can do anything I want to it, it doesn't matter, that's the, the physical part I'm choosing to do. But then they also live within a world where they elevated the body too, where it's just like, this is my body, right? But not the idea that it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, but it's like, this is my body that can do it. And everything my body can do, I should want to do. And you have this fascinating thing that happens in Christianity and our world. Because our world's going to tell us excess. Christianity's going to tell us infinity. Our world's going to tell us involved. Christianity's going to tell us sacrifice. And so that's some of the tension points that we're going through here. And I think part of the message about our bodies, that's where the key time comes from, is that a lot of us in the church and outside the church get indoctrinated with messages that aren't inherently good about our own bodies. There's a lot of us in this room who struggle with not just what we look like, but even just our physical bodies. There's a lot of us who struggle feeling comfortable in our own skin. Because we're told we're not pretty enough, we're not strong enough, we're not tall enough. We're not good enough by how we look. There's a lot of us who go through a lot of pain trying to be good enough. It's because we live in a world that wants to say what you look like on the outside determines your value. And that's what Paul is talking about here too. But we also live within a world, and, and Paul people live within a world where, 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 where sex was part of something to not just be involved in it, but it was some kind of like, like translucent or transcendent thing in the sense of it has people who to be more religious would have to go to the temple and indulge in these things. And as Paul looks around and says, listen, I know we're a bit weird, right? Like, we talk about eating the body of Christ, but it's just bread. You know, we talk about drinking the blood of Christ, but for us it's just grape juice, right? I don't know if you ever been to the church that doesn't mind you grew up on grape juice, it's a stuff, you know? But Paul says, we can't be like them. Because our level of faith and our level of community, our level of indulgence isn't in everything that feels good. It's in the one who is good. And I think a lot of us, in, in trying to teach this message of, of how do we even deal with sex and sexuality as Christians, we also grow up with a message that sex is inherently wicked. It's inherently evil. And it's inherently something we should be ashamed of. 
And so for us who grew up in the church, that's something we have to undo. And a lot of us are still trying to undo that in our marriages too. And Paul is also then talking, and this is a lot, right? But essentially he's saying that we live in a world, I think we can hear this too, that it's very easy for sex to become an idol. It's very easy, and so you'll see them talk about it in Revelation. You'll see them talk about it in the epistles. You'll see Jesus talk about it in the gospels. Apparently, one of the easiest things to become number one in our lives is how we think about ourselves, what we do with ourselves, and what we think is important. And sex sometimes comes in all three of those phases. So what then do we do? Paul says, if you want to walk in the way of love, you have to learn the language of submission. You have to learn the language of saying, God, this is where I am. This is what I'm struggling with. I give this to you. You have to learn the language of, I can't follow simply what I say is good. I can't follow simply what the world tells me is good. I have to learn what you say is good to ask yourself to follow that. And that's what he's trying to get at here. Because if you do not suspect in the ancient world, in the modern world, in our world, if you don't put that in submission to God, it only leads to destruction. And so that's the warning he wants to give. And he says, here's the funny thing about this. Is it's not just what we do, it's also what we say. And I've had many youth pastors who would tell me, it's like, this is why we don't cuss in church, right? This is why we don't cuss on Sunday. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's weird, right? Like, so can you curse not in church and not on Sunday, right? Because we read this passage like, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But Paul's going to something even deeper. He's not just talking about the swear words. He's saying what you say matters. Because what you say often unmasks what you feel and what you hold deep. And so you need to, even when it comes to what you think about sex, what you say about sex is almost as important as what you do because that informs your thinking, your philosophy. So he says, you have to have that under control. And if you have trouble with, with lewd jokes or, or lewd humor or any of that, he says, you know what? How about you just switch all that and just make it a thankfulness Right? How about the way we talked about this uh, a couple of years ago? It's important the words that come out of our mouth because they either destroy or they build up. And so in this context, Paul is saying it's important what you say about sex because they either destroy or build up. This makes this sermon really easy to preach, everybody. But what he's saying here is that are we willing to be people who are thankful to God for the good things without indulging on the good things? Because when we indulge on the good things and make the good things number one in our lives, they become our idols, they become our gods, and they're terrible gods for us. And this is how we fall astray. Because to God, idolatry is always the number one enemy to the Christian. Because when we put something other than Jesus first, we inherit what we serve. And the message here is simply, when it comes to any aspect of our lives, right, Nothing can matter more than our passion. Because as soon as anything, and I'm talking about sex, that's what he's talking about in this passage, but it could be your job, it could be your career, it could be your family, right? It could be your economic status. In our country, it could be your whiteness. In my country, it could be your public last name, right? There's so many things that could be good names, right? But if any of those things matters more than your Christ, it leads to destruction because nothing can matter more than your Christ. But then the other hard part about this teaching is also no one can matter more than our Christ Jesus. I think that's what some of us struggle with, right? 
you might have an easy time saying, like, I, I don't work for my job, right? Like, I don't, that doesn't dominate me. There's so many of us who are kids to become our own idols that we get to dress up like that. And for so many of us, right, our status and how it's seen in our friend group or our family or our community has mattered more than if we're actually living for Christ. And so the message here is anything that isn't Jesus can become an idol. So you were once darkness, and now you are light. Take off the robe of idolatry. Take off the robe of all these good things that aren't really pulling you closer to God and walk. And I love that he doesn't say you were once in darkness. He said you were once in darkness. And that's sobering, right? If I'm in the cave, I know there's light eventually. It might take me a little while, right? I might actually listen to people for a mile or two, but eventually I'm going to get up. But he says, no, 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 you were once darkness. And he says harsher words even in the Ephesians, right? But you were once dead, right? You were once enemies of God, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, outsiders, aliens, strangers, immigrants, right? But now he's saying God has made us light. And I don't know if there's a better message for those of us who struggle with body image, or those of us who struggle with how we fit into the world, or those of us who struggle with, does God really love me? I don't know if there's a better message this one than that God has made you life. That God has made you good. That God not only sees you and holds you, but God thinks you are his masterpiece. I don't know if there's a better message to us this morning when the world tells us that we will never be good enough when God says, you're so good, I sent my son for you. I sent my spirit to live inside of you. I gifted you sisters and brothers around you to walk with you. God has made us light. And so what is our response to the life that God has made us? We have to live as children of light. And he has four ways you can live as children of light. The first one is we ought to be bearing fruit. We ought to be behind truth. All of us are not just gifted. We're gifted to share. We're blessed to bless. Everything that God's given you, you ought to be giving it back for the kingdom, right? Because we are supposed to be, if this world is bad, you're supposed to be good. If this world is evil, you're supposed to be righteous. If this world is a lie, you're supposed to be the truth. How are you bearing fruit for the kingdom? You can't just say, God has brought me into the light. Jesus says, you are the light. How are you using your light to bear fruit? The next one he says is we have to learn what Jesus said. And though most of the sermon has been attacked by what we know, but we gotta know something. Right? You can't follow Jesus if you don't know who Jesus is or what Jesus is asking of you. So there's this idea that we all have to intentionally learn and keep learning what it means to follow God. There's people in this room who've been serving Jesus longer than I've been alive. And they're still learning what it means to follow God. All of us have to learn to keep learning what it means to follow God. And I love this last two parts. Because there's this dance that he makes here, at least how I see it in my head, right? I know we're in a VIP church, oh, we used to not dance in church, right? But there's this dance I see in the text where he's saying, you can't sleep with the darkness, you ought to be exposing it. I think most of us understand that part, right? You can't just hide stuff that you've done and, and try to cover it up, cover it up, cover it up, because eventually it's going to come to light. We get that part. But I think there's a liberation we missed. And so I want to read it, right? Because I think there's a liberation. I, I won't put that on you. There's a liberation I missed, right? 
have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You get that point. It is shameful even to mention what is disobedient, what the disobedient do in secret. But here is the liberation, my sisters and brothers. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Did you get that? The dark that we do, the dark that we go through, the dark that we suffer, God calls us to bring it to the surface, not to judge us, but to free us. And not only does it free us, it frees our sisters and brothers too. That's the liberation. That's why God says, don't hide the bad things that are happening. Now, give them to me, ask for forgiveness, but be bold enough to tell your sisters and brothers so you can liberate them too. Because there's nothing more powerful I've seen in this life than someone who says, I've been where you've been. And God has told me through. And so that's what he's calling us to do here. Right? Don't just hide it. Because one, it'll keep you isolated. It'll keep you in chains. It'll keep you in the castles, right? Ask God to break them chains. And then be bold enough to share what you've been through. Because that not only frees you, it just might free your sister or brother too. The dark, when it's illuminated, becomes light. And in the end, it's a call to live. So the old word that I grew up in my new kingdom is walk circumspectively, right? And I always think about circumference. And I enough time this week to figure out what circumference has to do circumspectively. So we're going to go with this idea of really living is living carefully. And what he means is you've got to be aware of not just the world that you live in, but you've got to be aware of this body that you live in too. You gotta know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. You gotta know what builds you up. You gotta know what gives you life. But then you also gotta know what tears you down and what takes life from your soul. Because that awareness helps us to be wise and not foolish. And then he says, make the most of every opportunity. I had a guy grew up with in church. And how he interpreted this verse was to always have, you know, a, a track on him, right? And his tracks were fascinating because it just seemed like whatever you were going through, you'd look at him like, there you go. You know, it's just like, that's how he interpreted the verse, right? It's like, have, make the most of every opportunity, and whatever you're going through, here's a, a three-page pamphlet to get you through, right? And that works for him. But I'm not sure if that's what Paul meant here. I think what he means is that you are a gift, but every day is a gift. So don't squander who you are chasing the things of this world, and don't squander what God's given you chasing the things of this world. It's just like you are a gift, and every day is a gift. Both of those must be coming together to bring glory to God every single day. That's the whole thing here. If you want to walk circumspectly, you got to say, God, I thank you for blessing me, not help me to be a blessing. I thank you for giving me this day, not help me to make the most of this day. I thank you for giving me this life. Now help me to use this life for your glory. It's moving from gifts to glory. That's the work of the church. They said, be wise and not foolish, so you can understand God's will. What's God's will we learned a couple of chapters ago? Is that people may come to salvation, and that you as a multi-ethnic, multicultural family can do it. Learn or be wise and not drunk. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love this passage because it reminds me of the power and beauty of music. A lot of us who grew up in church, um, we got this verse in our context, and the verse is like, don't be drunk, it's like right there in the text. And that's true, right? It's like right there in the text. But if you read the rest of the passage, 
Paul is not just speaking in terms of drunkenness. He's saying the things that fill you up will bear fruit. Right? And in our culture, people, we, I, we don't do this, right? Like, we don't do this in our culture. We don't get drunk in our culture and then excuse our behavior, right? Like, we never do such a thing, right? Only the ancients did that. But Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't be filled up by the wisdom of this world. Don't be drunk on the wine of this world. If you miss the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because if you're filled up with the Holy Spirit, what's going to come up is fruit. And I love how he accentuates music I think Pastor Hannah is amazing for many reasons. One of the reasons I appreciate her every week is I just literally on Tuesday give her a passage and I say, give it to me. And 99 out of 100, maybe 100 out of 100, she somehow takes like three or four sentences I give her in the passage and she picks some songs that, that help usher them up into worship. And it's the Holy Spirit working and I get that. But I think there's an important message that Paul says here as we think about how do we walk in love and light, Paul seems to think music might be the answer. Because we ought to be singing praises together. And that's why I think communal worship is so beautiful, right? And remember that the ancients were not necessarily uh, uh, people who read or knew how to read. They were all about public confession and public statements. That's why the songs were important, because they would tune out the pastor or the preacher in two minutes. Do you remember that song they sang for two years, right? And it still happens to them, right? It's okay, I forgive you. Most of the time. But no, seriously though, like, the song would be able to instruct them in the things of God. And Paul is saying, when we sing together, right, it can't just be, let's praise to God, let me transcend to God on this planet. It must be we're confessing together, this is what we believe. We sang King of Kings this morning, we're saying, this is what we believe. This is who our God is. This is what our God has done. But Paul also reminds us that it's important to sing alone too. And I love that part. I do this part. We do that. I live to sing alone. No one in my house likes it, but I like it. Now I think I'm alone and they like they remind me I'm not. But the idea here is if you want to protect your mind, right? You have to be mindful of the things you put in your mind. And so the reminder here is by singing these choruses, which are often verses of scripture, right? You're by singing these truths of who God is, you're reinforcing to yourself who God is. Right? One of the, 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 the scariest things that ever happened in my life was I was in the accident. It was me and the black guys, and the black guys always win, right? But I remember, right, right before the accident, I got this overwhelming feeling of like, you're going to be okay. Right? Like, and I remember, like, the song coming in my head was like, when peace like a river, I'm just like, I don't want no river, there's snow out here, you know? When I got to that point of it as well with my soul, I lost control of my car, I spun out, right? And I hit actually the back side of my car, which was the exact opposite of where I sit, you know, in the, the top left, right? And that part touched in. I remember looking over my shoulder and I'm like, well, I guess it is well with my soul. But the point is, these songs that we sing and we hold on to, can teach us more about God sometimes than what we read in our scripture that day or we hear from the preacher that Sunday. So Paul said singing is important. But then the last thing he says is we ought to be thankful for everything. And that is a challenge. Because it's easy to be thankful for the good things. It's easy to be thankful for the blessings. But how do we be thankful in the hard things? How do we be thankful in the darkness? How do we be thankful in the addictions? How do we be thankful in the battles that we're still fighting? And Paul says, 
I'm not going to tell you how. I'm just going to tell you you ought to do it. And I'm going to find that liberating. Because if you told me how to be thankful, I'd feel like more on following the steps than actually just being thankful. So, sisters and brothers, how do we walk in love and life? We do it by realizing that following Jesus has to be a lifelong apprenticeship. As we lifelong, not just what we know, but what we see Him do, and what we ought to also follow Him. Following Jesus has to be looking like Jesus, and it has to be loving, but not loving as you define it. Loving as emptying ourselves, loving as sacrifice, loving as putting others first. Following God has to be being light to our world, living as wise and not fools. And how do we live as wise and not fools? We sing the songs that bring praise to God. We hold on to every day as a gift from God. We look at ourselves as a gift from God, not just to us, but to our world. We look at the blessing that God's given us and say, how do we take all these things and bring them to your glory? I don't know why I invite up the worship team, and we're going to end with, go light is right. And I love this song. This is just a simple reminder, right? Not just that we were one darkness and now we're children of light, but that the light that God has called us to be, the light that God has made us to be, actually has a purpose. And that purpose is for our world. I think if all of us held on to that, it'll make Mondays a little bit easier to deal with, right? It'll make that co-worker a little bit easier to deal with, maybe. Right? They might be encouraging. I don't know. We pray for them, right? But the point is, if we hold on to this simple truth, that God hasn't just made us light or called us out of light, that God has actually said, we are the light of the world, that helps us. I think if we're all willing to go into the places, some may be dark, Right? Some of the places we live in, we walk in, we work in, might be dark, dark days. But in this season, maybe you're the voice leading the children to light. Or maybe you're just the one who's following the voice. But what does it mean that God's given you this light? And how do you intend to use that light for your life? That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to live this way with God. If you have anything to pray for, please come up. Uh, any passages in the room will be up front. We'd love to pray for you for anything you've got going on. But let's pray for things together.
chapter 5, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, so this series of teachings, right? As brethren in Christ for Anabaptists, so we're the red letter people, right? Like the red letter Christians, that's us, right? Um, but when we look at this, it's like, this is like we zoom in on this one because it's fine. And it's so much by teaching our theology that comes from Matthew 5 to 7. But there's one verse in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill should not be hidden. So that's our benediction, that's our prayer this morning. That wherever we are, whether it's in ourselves, in our bodies, whether it's in our families, in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, that we are bold enough to take this message of Jesus, that we are indeed the light of the world. I pray that God gives you strength. I pray that you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you have a community around you that gives you support so that you can be the light that God's called you to be. Our Father, my God, we thank you so much that you have called us to love the way you have loved. And that way, Lord, it's not taking but giving. It's not holding on to but letting go. It's not access but sacrifice. But God, help us to love that way too. Help us to love ourselves that generously. Help us to love our world that generously. Help us to love our communities, our people, our schools, our workplaces, our families. Help us to love that generously. That we're not holding on, but we're letting go. And what we're letting go is the love that you poured inside of us. Lord, fill us with your love so that it flows out of us into our world. And God, we thank you so much. That you have decided, you have destined, you have called us, you have commissioned us to be light in this world. So God, help us to see that you have made us light so the world tells us that we are dark. Help us to see that you have called us light so the world may be dark. We are the light of the world in Christ. So God, as we depart, we pray that we're willing to be brave, to be bold, to be resilient, to be strong. To be faithful everywhere you can. So, Lord, in these bodies that are earthly temples, in these families that are our communities, in this church, in our, our cities, our neighborhoods, even in our world, Lord, help us to be light where we are by being faithful to who you've called us to be and everything you've given us. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending us. We thank you for you being light. Make such In the holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. God bless you all.